10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Good evening, and welcome to another evening of Dr. Cliff Burton Friends, featuring the absolute very best in all the women's sports and HBCU athletics. We'd like to welcome you on this Dr. Martin Luther King holiday weekend, and we have so much in store for you. Uh, I'm going to start with my one of my co-hosts tonight. He's back with us after doing a great job two weeks ago on a special segment. That's none other than Jeff Butts. Hey, All right good, now. Evening. good evening, folks. How's everybody doing? All right. All right, Jeff. Glad to be back with you. Uh, we also want to say right off the bat, hello to our 15 engaged listeners and another eight in the chat box. So here we go. All right. I also want to say welcome. I saw this weekend back at Fisk University, our co-host, Fisk University's Volleyball Hall of Famer, Miss Joelle Bowers. Tell them hello, Joelle. Hello, hello. Good evening, everyone. Let's have a blessed evening, and I'm excited. We've been through that storm of the weather. Thank you. <laughs> yes, we have. Yes, we have. And uh, <laughs> we're going to talk to other co-hosts in a second, but we're going to get started on this Dr. Martin Luther King the uh, weekend was celebrating the 90th birthday of the dreamer. We knew him as a Christian minister born January 15, 1929, and he died in the assassination on April 4, 1968. He was an activist, a political philosopher, and he's one of the most prominent leaders in the civil rights movement from 1955 until his assassination in 1968. He was a black church leader, a son of an early civil rights activist and minister, Martin Luther King Sr. Dr. King advanced civil rights for people of color in the United States through the use of nonviolent resistance and nonviolent civil disobedience against the Jim Crow laws and other forms of discrimination in the United States. Jeff, give us your thoughts and also type audience in the chat, Dr. Martin Luther King and what he meant to you. Jeff. Well, I guess the, the main thing that is a constant reminder is that I am not less than my counterpart. That is one of the best things that I can remember. And I also I like to make sure that my children, in particular, my son, understands that the color of his skin does not make him less than anyone. In fact, that he is either equal to or more. Uh, so one of the things that I preach and I preach for a long time is on Calvary. Jesus shed his blood, not for one, but for many equally. And so if Jesus' blood is equal to all of us, that makes us equal. Oh, come on now. Oh, we're going to have a good one tonight. Come on now. Thank you, Jeff. We're going to come. All the famous Joel Bowers, Dr. Martin Luther King. Tell us what he meant to you. Yes, this is such a remarkable time, and I'm so glad that first we have been granted the opportunity to celebrate this yearly, and I think we're going to keep on his standards and he built and upload for in inclusion and in the economic field is where as what we are entitled to uh across the board and the standards he lived for that he died for that and we're going to carry that on at this time thank you all righty thank you so much joelle thank you so much you're right <laughs> one of my favorite things is that dr king used to say is that if you whatever you do if you're gonna 
even if you're going to sweep streets, be the best street sweeper there ever was. So no matter what profession or whatever lot your lot holds you on a socioeconomic status, there's no room for uh, being mediocre. And I think that if we as a people can grasp that and our children can grasp that, uh, we'll move forward as a people in the, in the manner that Dr. King wanted us to. And so we have uh, two more weeks with him. Of course, the whole month, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And uh, we want to ask our CEO for the love of tennis. She's back with us tonight, Ms. Sheila Townsend. Hello. She's going to close the show. Hello, Sheila. How are you doing? Good evening, everyone. How are you? Good, good, good. We were just talking about Ken and Dr. Martin Luther King. Got to cut the Okay. And uh, Sheila, just tell us what Dr. Martin Luther King means to you. Well, you know, as I've gotten older, I have really grown to appreciate so much of what he did that I really didn't understand as um, a youngster. And I think more importantly, um, the wisdom that he had at such a young age and the lessons and the things that he was uh, espousing um, during his time are uh, still very relevant and and necessary today. Absolutely. So his, his dream absolutely didn't die. If anything, his dream to me is even more um, or should be even more energized. And um, absolutely, we need to um, dissect his life so that we can teach the ones that are coming behind us um, information and just not, uh, you know, the punchline, I have a dream, but teach them about the whole person of who he was and his evolution too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you so much. You so much. All righty. Uh-huh. Dr. Kemp, I want to hear from you. What does Dr. King's weekend mean to you and all that he's done in our time? Um, thanks, Dr. Burt. Um, Dr. King's weekend is just a special weekend that I think that we should all you know, just make sure that we honor uh, annually, um, and but just continue to do his work the way that he taught us, um, just how to stand together as a race, um, continue to strive forward, um, and just to remind mm -hmm. other people as well um, all that he, all that we have done and what he has done to advance not just our rights but just the civil rights for everyone. All righty. Thank you, Dr. Kemp. All righty. Now, everything's looking good. Dr. King is very evident of all good for is uh, that we're also going to celebrate another birthday tonight. This birthday, this figure, we wouldn't know her if it not for the things that Dr. King did. And tomorrow, it's the birthday of our former first lady, Miss Michelle Obama. Come on now. And uh, she, as you know, she's the wife of President Barack Obama. And they were in the White House in 2009 
2017. A clear, clear, clear example of the um, progress from Dr. King. Joelle, coming to you first. Michelle Obama, happy birthday tomorrow to you. Yes, happy birthday to uh, Michelle Obama, our former first lady. And I would just like to say this going on that uh, she carried herself with such elegance, intelligence, and she's still going on. What is she going to do when she leaves there? She didn't stop. She carried on the procedures and what we need to do here. I look forward to seeing what else she has to contribute to us. But thank you for her being a trailblazer and leader for us as an example right now. Thank you. Yeah, all righty. Her birthday is tomorrow. And I'm gonna to come to you, Jeff. Michelle Obama. Well, <laughs> I'll I tell you what, um, one of the things that I'm so fascinated about is that she understood the magnitude of being a black man's first lady. Mm. Mm. That was something that, can you imagine Anything she did was magnified 10 times. Yeah. And so she understood she's in the eye of the, the United States. Anything she did could affect anyone else to follow of color. Yeah. All right now. First lady, Michelle Obama. We're gonna introduce our special, special guest in about 20 minutes. Our special guest, that's none other than Coach Kareem Tarver. She is here with us, Coach the Fisk University, Lady Bulldogs Gymnastics Team. Now, our Woman of the Month, we're going to continue to honor her all month, and that is none other than Coach C. Vivian Stringer. She was, again, a native of inborn Pennsylvania and a member of the Alumni Hall of Fame and her alma mater. One of her great accomplishments was in high school, but she sued her school for not allowing her to be a cheerleader, cheerleader because of race. She won the case and was given a spot on the school's cheerleading squad, being the first black cheerleader in her town since 1955 to 1958. We know she went on Slippery Rock University of Pennsylvania. She was a four-sport athlete. She participated in basketball, softball, volleyball, and field hockey. And uh, Coach Stringer, as we know, is etched in the Basketball Hall of Fame. She coached at Cheney State, 1972 to 1983, Iowa, 1983 to 1995, and uh, Rutgers from 1995 to 2022. She would finish in Division One with an overall coach record of 1,055 wins and 426 losses. Of course, again, with Coach C, Vivian Stringer, and I'm coming to you. Sheila, give us your thoughts on this magnificent first African-American woman or coach, man or woman, to go over a thousand wins in their career. Sheila, tell us what you think. I'm sorry, could you say that again? For some reason, the phone went out. I'm sorry, I didn't hear what you yeah. asked. Coach C. Vivian Stringer, tell us what you think, the first African-American basketball coach to go over a thousand wins in her career, male or female. In fact, she's the only black, black coach to do that. Give us your thoughts on her. What? Well, I have a, a little little known, probably black history fact, not so much with her, but we have a student um, at our high school, Boca Raton Community High School. Her name is Courtney Lowe. And on two, no, 
um, last Friday, she scored her thousandth point wow. in the history of our of our school, and um, and she's only one of five. All right. Can you tell her congratulations to Dr. Cliff Burton Friends from all of us? Okay. All right. Dr. Kemp, C. Vivian Stringer. Definitely a trailblazer, as we all know, um, who have definitely paved the way for our young uh, basketball coaches, as well as our other uh, African-American coaches, um, you know, that's coming behind her. She is definitely one to be proud of, um, and I'm sure that she is proud of uh, the University of Iowa and how what they're doing, as well as Rutgers team. Um, but she is definitely one of the coaches, one of the great coaches um, that we can definitely look up to and just happy to just have watched her coach um, during her legacy. Yes. Thank you so much, Dr. Kemp. Two more weeks. We have her with us, uh, one of the most, Coach C, Vivian Stringer. Mm -hmm. While we're on women's basketball, let me uh, share this with you. Coach Tara Vanderveer at Stanford University Division I Women's Basketball is on the verge of history of uh, men and women. Coach Meisterchewski of Duke holds the all-time record 1,202 career wins. Coach Tara Vanderveer is at 1,201, and she has two games this week. She's coaching the number eight Stanford Cardinals. It's very likely that this week she will become the all-time winningest coach in basketball, Division One, and move ahead of Coach Mike Krzyzewski. Now, another fact, the top four career coaches in basketball wins will be Coach Tara Vanderer, women's basketball, Mike Krzyzewski, men's basketball. But third will be Coach Gino Ariema from the Yukon Huskies, women's basketball. And fourth will be the late Pat Head Summit. Hear me, by the end of this week, Three out of the top four coaches in career wins, NCAA Division One basketball will be coaching or have coached women's basketball. All right, now, come on. All righty. Now, it's time for us. We're going to go to our, uh, cover our basketball. We're going to start with the women. We're going to start in the CIAA. These are the conference records. In the Northern Division, Virginia State, 6-1, Bowie State, 5-2, Bluefield State, 4-3, Virginia Union, 4-3, Lincoln, 3-4, Elizabeth City State, 2-4. In the Southern Division, Fayetteville State, 6-0, Shaw, 4-2, Johnson C. Smith, 4-3, St. Augustine, 3-4, Claflin, 1-5, Livingston, 1-5, and Winston-Salem State. They are pulling up the rear. So um, as we get into our nitty-gritty, as we call it, uh, we're going to be getting ready for the um, a, a big season. Now, we're going to talk about the SIAC, the Women's Standings in the Southern Intercollegiate Athletic Conference in the Eastern Division. These are just the conference records. Savannah State, 7-2, Fort Valley State, 5-4, Clark Atlanta, 4-5, Albany State, 2-7, Edward Waters, 2-7, Allen, 1-6, and, and Benedict, 1-7. In the Western Division, Kentucky State 9-0, Miles 8-0, Tuskegee 6-3, Lamont Owen 4-4, Lane College 4-4, Central State 4-5, and Spring Hill, they are 
and six. So there you have it. We have the women's uh, SIAC and the women's CIAA for this week. We'll come back with the MEAC. We'll come back with the SWAC. We'll come back with the Gulf Coast Athletic Conference uh, next week. Things are beginning to heat up as we get ready for March Madness next month. All righty. Ms. Joelle Bowers, you're going to bring us the men's in the CIAA and then in the SIAC. Joelle. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Starting with the men's basketball standing for the CIAA, we have the Northern Division with Virginia State leading with a three and four in the conference. And we also have Lincoln with a three and four, Bluebird State with a three and four, Elizabeth City State with a two and four, Virginia Union with a one five, and Bowie State with a one six. Southern Division, we have St. Augustine's five two, John C. Smith with a five three, Wisdom Salem State with a five one, Kaplan with a four one, Shaw with a four two, Fayetteville State with a 3-3. And last but not least, rounding up is Livingston with a 3-3. Next, we will go to the SIAC Conference. Leading in the East, we have Benedict with a 7-1, 7-1. Morehouse with a 7-1. Edward Waters with 6-3. Clark Atlanta, 5-3. Savannah State. Five and four, Albany State, five and four, Allen, three and five, Fort Valley State, three and six. And next we have coming up in the West, Miles leading with a six and two, Spring Hill with six and four, Lemoyne Oin, four and five, Lane, also four and five, Tuskegee, four and six, Kentucky with a one nine, and Central State. With a one nine, thank you. Right there, you have the SIAC, CIAA. Thank you, Joel. A great job. Now, as we know, it seems to come up so quickly the tennis grand slams, and we have our analyst with us tonight, the CEO for the love. She's been here before, Sheila Townsend. We're going to talk about the first round. A couple of the women, Naomi Osaka is back, even though she lost the first round game, she came back. She played a first round six months after giving birth. And uh, Sheila, just tell us your thoughts on Naomi Osaka coming back to tennis. She's a three-time Australian Open. Sheila. Yes. You know, I think that um, the game has truly evolved where um, women who are on the circuit now actually have the ability to come back after they've made a decision to um, start a family. Of course, you know, I'm in, in the same situation too with uh, Taylor having Aiden um, two years ago. And, but there was a time when once a woman had made that decision um, that pretty much that their professional tennis career was over but um, that's no longer the case. Um, of course, there have been a lot of advocacy around um, women and um, starting families. And we have a lot of trailblazers to thank for that. Billie Jean, um, Venus was huge with that. And, and there are 
so many others. Um, but um, yeah, career of choice. Um, and unlike the men, they don't have to go on the sideline uh, because they made a decision to start a family. Amen. Amen. One another question for you, Sheila. Uh, the last Grand Slam of the U.S. Open, and of course we were all thrilled, young Coco Golf. She won her first round match the other day. Do you think uh, we're looking at her second? She says that her, her serve is much better. She has a lot more confidence and that uh, tennis great Andy Roddick has been working with her on that tennis serve. What do you think of Coco's chances of winning uh, the Australia Open, which is a different uh, surface, am I right, than playing at the U.S. Open? Um, the surface is, is the, it, it's the same surface, <laughs> although, um, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of the players have to go down early because now this is the, the summer for Australia. And, um, so, you know, they have to get readjusted to the heat and of course the time change, but, you know, I, I, I absolutely love the, the focus, the, um, confidence and the, the belief that Coco has within herself and, you know, her parents have done an amazing job with her, uh, keeping her grounded and keeping their family unit together, which has truly been, um, you know, a huge factor in her success. Cause you know, it takes a village. So it wasn't yeah. just her parents. There were times when her grandparents had to step in and, and take her to, um, events, um, you know, or either, uh, caring for her siblings while her parents were traveling. So, um, but she is so determined and so focused and, you know, I, I think the only person that could stop her is her, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, and she's only getting stronger with each win. Mm -hmm. So I, I am truly enjoying seeing that because, you know, I mean, honestly, if I could be frank, you know, I was kind of a bit um, concerned, if I could say that, as to who would come up the helm, who would hold up the helm after Serena left. You know, those are some big shoes to step <laughs> into. Coco is, 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 you know, giving us some real enlightening hope that she might be able to walk in those shoes. All righty. All righty. Coco Golf. We're going to keep an eye on her. Sheila, we're going to ask her to come back as we get deeper into the tournament over the next week or two. And we're going to talk so much more women, men, singles, doubles, and all of that. So Sheila Townsend, y'all, CEO for the love of tennis, mother of tennis pro, Taylor Townsend. And uh, she also is just a great teacher of the game at all levels. Okay, we're going to take a break in a second, and then we're going to come back with Jim, but it's Pamela Renee. Pamela Renee at prenaeestates.com, 404-964-4296. That's prenaeestates.com. If you're looking for residential, commercial, land, builder, developer, 
Investor Services, then that's who you want to go to. That is P. Renee. All right, we'll be back in one minute. Jim will catch us up. NFL. Welcome back to Dr. Cliff Burton Friends, featuring the absolute very best in all of women's sports and HBCU athletics. We want to welcome. We have 31 engaged listeners in the line. Welcome to the line. And also our 11 who are in the chat box. Jim, take us away with a little NFL HBCU football head coaching changes. Jim. Well, as I told Cliff in the pre-show, I want to just briefly touch on uh, Texas Southern hired former Houston Oilers great Chris Dishman, after about a six-week search where they had interviewed a multitude of candidates, and that FAMU Board of uh, Trustees hired a coach that the Alumni Association is fighting against, Black College Football. Stay tuned to Cliff Burton Friends, where we give you the, the best updates on those situations. Now, on to the NFL. The first game was supposed to be Cleveland's vaunted defense against the young rookie, C.J. Stroud. But one thing that Cleveland had a problem with, their defense gave up 14 more points on the road, and they were playing in Houston. So C.J. Stroud just sliced and diced that man-to-man defense, and Joe Flacco, the quarterback for Cleveland, gave up two pick sixes as Cleveland lost to Houston 45 to 14. Hmm. Then we go on to the, the uh, late game on Saturday, which was Miami versus Kansas City. Miami would have had a home game, would have had the second seed had they beaten Buffalo the last game of the year. But they lost and they had to go to frigid Kansas City, where they already went into the game minus three edge rushers, a starting cornerback, and about four other players. Mm-hmm. to seven righty. Mm-hmm. sending Mike McDaniel back to the drawing board but home field advantage is a huge must as five of the six games were won by the home team the game that I thought was a lock was Dallas at Green Bay you know I'm a Lions fan and I really don't want the Lions to play Green Bay <laughs> But I figured Dallas would handle them. But Dallas went into that game. Green Bay scored six of their first seven times, only pointed once in the whole game, and lost to Green Bay, 48-32. Jerry is already – Hold on, Jim. Let's see what Jeff has to say about that Dallas game. Jeff, see your thoughts. (laughs) Dallas game. And Renee is on the line, too. Oh, 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 okay. All the same. 
Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, you, Renee. Dallas a tick, crying tears of sorrow. And Dr. Kemp, I'm real sorry for your Philly crew up there. <laughs> Everybody hurting bad. Y'all might as well come join the Giants and go fishing. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Well, they got time now. Hey, Jeff, I, you know, between Dallas and Philadelphia, I think both of them are going to interview Bill Parcells. <laughs> and I want to know who you think would fit, who you think would get it, would best benefit by him. Listen, man, I don't, I don't know. This is a tough, this is a tough call, man. But um, I, I would probably, I would probably say Dallas. Yeah. I would okay. probably say Dallas. Yeah. Yeah. Now. Jim, Renee On says, to the next game. Jim, Renee even put it here, Dallas choked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they need to go ahead and get Belichick. But um, right. ahead, on Jim. to the, the night the nightcap game on Sunday was Detroit and the Los Angeles Rams. Detroit had not won a playoff game in 32 years, had not won a division in 30 years. And they were playing against their favorite son, Matthew Stafford who they traded away to get Jared Goff and five other players. Detroit was able to keep Stafford out of the end zone three times in the red zone and was able to win the game 24-23. to 23. So since Dallas wet the bed, Detroit is going to get that second home game <laughs> after all. Now, Pittsburgh and Buffalo. And that was a it was a fairly close game. Buffalo pulled out in the end, winning 31-17. Josh Allen accounted for all the touchdowns, either by passing or throwing. He had a 52-yard touchdown on the run. For a while, they thought Mike Tomlin was going to retire, but he has told his players and the uh, ownership that he wants to come back for the last year. And the nightcap game, Philadelphia was playing Tampa. I thought it was going to be a closer game, but Philly ended up losing six of their last seven. Look listless on the field. I think Sirianni has coached his last game there. You know, I didn't understand what Jalen Hurt was doing when he threw the ball. He didn't throw the ball away. He got tackled and then threw it to the ground. As they, oh boy, that was just an ugly game. But I will throw this out as I finish up. The NFL is talking about now playing two games on Martin Luther King Monday. They're, wow. pinned, they're waiting to see the results that Pittsburgh and Buffalo got. But if it's good, I think they will go with it. And finally, a quick top top five. At the top, you've got the two teams that had a bye, Baltimore, San Francisco. I've got Detroit in third place. I've got Buffalo in fourth. And I will round it off with the real wild card here, which will be Kansas City. All righty, Jim. Now, Jim, I'm going to tell you what's in the chat. Uh, Benita from down in the Music City says that um, uh, Dallas uh, always come back, all right? And uh, Dr. Kemp here is put in the chat, Philly was looking tired the last couple of games. <laughs> hey, that's the way it goes. Great job, Jim. Thanks so much um, for coming back with football. Of course, our basketball analyst, Steve, would be back next week. He has a week off, and uh, we'll get going. Joelle says, oh, she just loves this show. All right, now, Joelle. We're going to take us a minute break, and we'll come back with none other than Coach Dean Tarver. Yeah. 
Yeah. Welcome back, Dr. Cliff Burton Friends, featuring the absolute very best in all the women's sports and HBCU athletics. We want to welcome our now our 54 engaged listeners that are listening to the show, as well as those 12 additional that are in the chat room. All righty. Kareen, Coach Kareen Tarver, formerly Kareen Wright, the first African-American member of the Georgia Bulldogs gymnastics team. She hails from Mount Vernon, New York. She's a nine-time All-American in her four years with the Gym Dogs, and she helped them win the NCAA team championships in 1987 and 1989. She was an early standout from the time she stepped on that campus, and Coach Euclid says she was nothing but a first, a fierce, a fierce competitor. Let me just run down a few things on her. NCAA championships, 1987, Salt Lake City with a team goal. 1989, Athens, team goal. 1989. Athens, all around, gold, 1989, floor, gold, 1987, Salt Lake City, floor, silver, 1988, Salt Lake City, silver, 1989, Athens in the uneven bars, silver, 1987, Salt Lake City, all around, bronze, 1989, Athens in the vault, bronze, and 1990, the Corvallis King, bronze. And yes, Fisk University was blessed to have her appointed as our coach in 2022 becoming the first African-American woman to coach in HBCU. We are honored to have with us tonight none other than Coach Kareen Tarver. How you doing, Coach? How you there? I, I'm good. How are you? Oh, we are just elated and happy that you are with us tonight, Coach. Um, let's start here. Uh, back in somewhere eighth grade for you and, and we're going to come all the way up we're going to do it all the night fisk and everything else to your team but but let's talk to you eighth grade seventh grade tell us how you get into gymnastics and get this vision that this little black girl from mount vernon could be a gymnast a world-class gymnast tell us how it came about uh, honestly i didn't really think that um wow i just liked doing the sport i mean i loved learning uh it it came pretty naturally. And uh, it was, I guess in seventh grade, I was at a YWCA where we basically had to roll the equipment in, roll the equipment out because basketball and volleyball were coming in after us. So it wasn't really a dedicated gymnastics gym. And so the coaches there went to my parents and said, we've taken her as far as we can. So she needs to go to someplace that's more dedicated to gymnastics, like a gym that is 
just a gymnastics facility, which has a team, it's going to be more competitive. So we looked around, tried a couple of different places and found a gym in Stanford, Connecticut. So I was about 45 minutes away from my house. My parents both worked. So I had to take a cab to the train and then take the train to Stanford, Connecticut. And then I took a bus. So I didn't really think of it along those lines. I mean, at first when I went there, I was obviously the weakest link because I hadn't been training at a, you know, that kind of a gym. And I just didn't like to be the, you know, the worst kid and quote unquote worst kid on the team. So I refused to, to have that be the case. And I was also a daredevil. So anytime my coach said, let's do this, I'm like, I'll do it. I'll do it. Right. So, uh, you know, I mean, I, I improved pretty quickly and um, ended up winning the regional championships for my level that year and realized, hmm, I might be able to do this in college. Uh, but before that, I wanted to be an elite gymnast and make the U.S. national team. That became one of my goals. And I was able to do that both my junior and senior year in high school. So. All right. All right. All right. All right. Uh, Coach, when did you, we call it self-actualization, that you said, inside the back of your mind, I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm in the better of the, I'm the higher echelons. And uh, and realize that, about what grade was that? We always ask athletes that, but when did you realize it? Honestly, it would have been eighth grade because mm -hmm. uh, it was that year that I said, when I walked into the gym, I was working out with athletes who were a level above me because of the timing of their practice. And as I said, I didn't like being the quote unquote worst on the team, but I was when I walked in the door and by the end of the year, they'd moved me up to that level and I won a regional championships. So that's when I realized, okay, you know what? I, I can do this. Um, and I also, like I said, gymnastics was, was, it wasn't as hard as it is for a lot of people, mainly because I was fearless. So I would try anything. Mm -hmm. So any skill you wanted to try, I was like, let's do it. Um, and so I learned pretty quickly as far as skills were concerned. And I realized that as long as I worked, you know, to what my coaches were trying to get me to do, that I would be successful. So yeah, I'd say it started about eighth grade. All righty. The coach, you come up through high school and I want to bring this along as well. You're a pretty good student as well. So you have the discipline of gymnastics and being a good student. And we always emphasize that on this show. I know you emphasize that to your, your players and your gymnasts now. But did your parents instill that in you or did it just come easy for you? Tell me how this went along with the sports. Uh, well, academics actually was always something that my whole family, not just, just my parents, but you know, I come from a, a family, a long line of pretty successful people. It, it, so it was a given that I was going to go to college. I mean, I, I just never thought there was an, another option. So, uh, <laughs> so it, it, you know, I mean, keeping my grades up, I knew that was important. Keeping my, my, you know, but it was also important to me. I'm one of those finish everything I start kind of people, person. So if I'm in a class, I want to be successful in the class. So I mean, I think it was instilled in my by my family, but also just self-motivation. Okay. And so you're recruited, you do well high school, and tell us how you land down in Athens, Georgia, from Mount Vernon 
New York. And uh, tell us, was it a culture shock or the adjustment for you getting on a campus in the 80s? And you're the first African-American gymnast at the University of Georgia in the SEC. Tell us about that experience of adjustment. Well, believe it or not, I wasn't being recruited my senior year. I mean, I had made the U.S. national team, so it was kind of a given that, you know, members of the national team are going to be known and be highly recruited just because of the level. But I wasn't being recruited, which I thought was kind of strange, but I didn't get too nervous. Um, what I discovered later was that they had me listed as a junior. And back then you were not allowed to speak to juniors in any way, shape or form. A college couldn't. So nobody was recruiting me because I thought I wasn't recruitable. It was a friend of mine who was at the University of Nebraska and she asked her coach why he wasn't recruiting me. And when he told her why, she said, no, she's a senior in high school. She's graduating. So then I started getting phone calls there. Um, and I honestly almost went to University of Nebraska. I was very close to going there. Uh, but then we were at a competition with my team and Suzanne Yachlin came up to my coach and said, you know, you got something special in this, you know, in me. And, and she said, I wish she was a senior. I wish I could recruit her. And she's, he's like, no, she's a senior. She's recruitable right now. She's graduating. And within days I got a phone call from, from Suzanne inviting me to come down to Georgia for a recruiting trip. Uh, I went down, it happened to be the Georgia, Alabama gymnastics competition. And if you know any history about college gymnastics, you'll know that that was a huge rivalry back then. And there's actually an ESPN special about, about the two head coaches from Georgia and Alabama. So when Alabama saw me there and was like, what is she doing here? She's not recruitable. And it was like, Oh yeah, she is. And, but I love Georgia. I mean, when I went, I loved the campus. I love the people. I love the coaches. I love the team. And it just felt like home. And so even though I started getting recruited by other schools because people figured out that I'm actually a senior, at that point in time, I just shut it down and, and committed to Georgia. All right. So you get to Georgia, you're in the SEC, and you help them win a couple of championships. And then in 1989, you become a national champion in the all-around. Help me out now. I'm not a gymnast, so you're going to help me on some of this. Uh, <laughs> all-around competition. Yes. Tell me how, how, how that how felt. I mean, that's something. Hmm. Well, yeah, it was pretty amazing. Um, I had been close uh, previous years. My freshman year, I had finished third. And, you know, my, my junior, I mean, that had been a goal of mine all along was to win a national championship and be the all around national champion. So I honestly didn't know that I'd won until the meet was completely over because there were so many great athletes on the, on the competing. And I, I had no idea where I sat compared to them because you didn't see individual scores per se. So, and I didn't look at any other team score. So I had no idea. I knew I was in a, that I finished in the top three, but I didn't really know I'd won until my coach told me right before we marched out. So it was pretty exciting, obviously. Um, I, you know, I, it was a goal, like I said, and I was I was happy to finally achieve that goal. Uh, floor was was special too because the two previous years I had, well, my first freshman year I'd been ranked number one going into finals on floor and finished second, and then my 
sophomore year, I had been ranked number two going to the floor and finished second. So I, but I was very close. Like it was really, really close. And then finally junior year, I was able to win it. I mean, I tied with um, a very good friend of mine, but still able to finish it. As I said, it had been a goal, both the all around and winning floor had been a goal of mine. So I was really happy to finally achieve that. Mm-hmm. Coach, so you, you win, you win, you graduate. And this is the part most people, we don't talk about. Uh, this is not just Coach Kareem Tarver. This is Attorney Kareem Tarver. You leave Georgia and you go to law school right away and you graduate around, what, 95, 96? Yep, law school? I graduated. Nine, okay. All right. You passed the New York bar. Yes. But then tell us what happens because you follow your passion. So tell us what happens. And then uh, I'm going to be coming to Joel Bowers next. <laughs> I wanted to be a, a sports agent, which is why I went to law school, because I felt like I needed a contracts background in order to be marketable. And I interned at an agency and realized that this was just not for me, that that it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And I did not want to do this with my life. Um, I had no clue what I wanted to do, but I ended up getting talking to some people and I got into college athletics and administration and absolutely loved it. I really did enjoyed it. I moved around the country, several different jobs and I ended up in New Jersey eventually <laughs> after yeah. many years. Uh, well, I should say South Jersey because I was in Central Jersey and then I ended up in South Jersey and I kind of started getting burnt out after about 10 years and needed a break. Eventually, I saw a job at the University of Pennsylvania to coach college gymnastics as an assistant coach. Paul I didn't receive that job and absolutely fell in love with coaching college. Um, I ended up having to take a break from it because of some uh, personal family issues. And I, you know, I was kind of not forced to, but it was in my best interest of my family for me to work part time, which we all know cannot do as a college coach very easily at least. And when it was ready to kind of move back into full-time work, I told my husband that maybe a couple of weeks later, I got a phone call from Fisk. So it was just meant to be, I guess. Oh yeah. All right. We got to open it up a little bit to our, our team here. Uh, the first one goes to Fisk University. I think you know this young lady coach, Miss Joelle Bowers, Fisk University's Hall of Famer in volleyball. Joelle? Yes. Welcome, Coach Kareem. We are so glad to have you, uh, all the co-hosts here on Cliff Burst and Friends. We have been so excited to have you come. You are such a trailblazer. And I just want to personally tell you, Coach Kareem Tarver, you guys know T-A-R-V-E-R is one of my (laughs) personal friends. (laughs) Yes. And I'm so glad to have her. And I know you had a uh, diversity and inclusion gymnastics meet that was scheduled uh, for this weekend. So before we go any further, uh, Cliff was there as well as myself representing. I want to read 
the press release from FIST. It says on January 15, in the aftermath of the severe weather conditions that swept through Nashville area last, we've regretfully announced the cancellation of Martin Luther King Gymnastic Invitational by the president of the university, Dr. Arginia Clark. Expressed I share the deep disappointment of the gymnastics who trained so diligently. Yes, you did. The organizers, outstanding you were, who poured their hearts into planning and the spectator who eagerly awaited this event. But as much as we cherish the vision we meet, we yearn that to see their hard work come to fruition and safety and well-being of everyone involved must be our unwavering, unwavering priority. Vanderbilt University assures ticket holders that a refund will be processed and reflected in their original method of payment within the next seven to 10 business days. And uh, we cannot celebrate on this day due to the weather as well. But thank God for Dr. Martin Luther King. And this is a note from Scott Wallace, the Sports Information Director. So with that out there and sad, Coach Kareen, I'm going to turn it over to you and let you um, talk about the other. There were six of you guys. And I want to say this as well, that we should watch and be uplifted because there was a panel discussion that was recording and available on YouTube in which you guys talked about diversity and inclusion. But you also discussed each one of your credentials, your skills, your mentors, your challenges how to overcome, and you talked something about vaulting as uh, something personal, vaulting over your challenges. So I love you, uh, Coach Tarver, and now I'll turn it over to you. Thank you. All right. Uh, Tell us about the panel discussion. Mm -hmm. The panel discussion was amazing. Um, Again, that was, you know, the, the idea for that came from the you know, I did a summer camp last, last summer as well as a camp this fall, and we had a Q&A after each one of those camps. Well, not after, during the end of it, where we invited parents to come down. And we got so many questions about issues facing diversity and inclusion. You know, parents that were concerned about their, their daughters being the only, you know, gymnasts of color on their team or how to help them deal with you know prejudices or really kind of veiled prejudices like wanting to touch their hair and wanting to you know oh you can't wear braids you know you need to wear this you're not you're not allowed to do what's part of your culture or making them feel bad because they wanted to do that or making comments you know well you're never going to score as high as so and so because black people can't point their toes things like that which we all hear. I mean, those are things that, those are statements that that all of us have, have heard at some point in time as gymnasts or, and so because I was getting so many questions, I thought it would be really great since we had all six coaches coming in to have an opportunity to, to have all of us there. And we all feel like, even though there's a lot of improvement that's made, the fact that there's six female head coaches is the largest that there's ever been in the NCAA. It's six out of, was it 87, I think it is. And so that's just, that's not enough. You know, it's, it's so much better, but it's still just a drop in the bucket. So 
we're happy to to um, celebrate the improvement, but know that we need a lot more work and there's a long way to go. And so we felt it was important. All the coaches felt it was important to put it out there and to keep the the conversation current so that it doesn't get pushed to the side and that people don't become complacent, especially with the Olympics coming along. They're going to see Simone Biles, hopefully, knock on wood, everything works out for her competing in the Olympics. And they're going to see you know, more athletes from both the U.S. and so many other countries. And if everything goes as, you know, everyone stays healthy, the award stand could be all women of color. And Jeez. so when wow. people, yeah, that happened at the World Championships this last year. I'm about to yeah. We got to, I always tell that with Coach. <laughs> coach, I'm going to ask the question, and then I'm going to be coming to uh, Ms. Ta Ms. Townsend Neck on this, you mentioned in that discussion that when you were coming out of Georgia and the question came up, did you want to be an Olympian? But you said, if I remember, you were told about this body type, body shaming or whatever of our women of color gymnasts. And uh, share your experience and then I'm gonna bring in Sheila Townsend, whose daughter, plays tennis and have her come in the conversation. Coach Harvard? Well, I was asked whether Olympics was a dream and I said, no, it, it really, it was not. I mean, I knew that I was never gonna make the Olympics or world championships. And mainly because I, I was told I didn't have the right body type. Hmm. You know, I, I didn't. And as a, a woman of color, I was never gonna have the body type that they wanted, at least back then. I mean, thankfully, that has changed a lot. Um, is it enough? No, but it's changed a lot. But, you know, I didn't have the right body type. I wasn't going to make it. I knew that. So that wasn't my goal. My goal was to make the team and then go to college and get a college scholarship. So I, you know, I had to set my, I had to set goals that were attainable. Yeah. Coach Tom, I want you to hear uh, Coach Townsend, whose daughter's a professional tennis player. Sheila, I want you to comment on that. When I heard it yesterday, we thought about what we know. Comment on this, Sheila. Well, you know, one of the things that she just said um, in her experience when she had heard um, about, she was told that because she didn't have a certain body type that she wouldn't be able to elevate to the, to the Olympic level. And, you know, that was the exact same thing that um, happened with Taylor. And, um, you know, and it's such a, I mean, the girls uh, and, and the coach here, they're obtaining such high level accomplishments, although they're at a young age. And they have a lot of uh, pressure on them that, you know, sometimes as, as the parent, when you aren't the one that's actually in it, that you don't understand. But, um, you know, Taylor was number one in the world and they were still telling her that she wasn't good enough. And, you know, no matter, um, how I tried to um, 
explain to her not to allow that to interfere with what she was doing because in actuality it was really it was jealousy that they can't understand that why somebody who doesn't look like you is able to accomplish the things that you're able to accomplish and also not even having the same um maybe opportunities or the pedigree in that sport as they had but you're still able to maximize your opportunities so you know you look today and as she said i remember i was watching the world gymnastics and i saw all of those girls and i mean i just it, it was such a moment for me um and just to look at now how in in women's tennis how you know so many are are coming through and they all look different they all look different and so I mean, I think it's so important that we continue to um, uh, uh, inspire our girls and 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 tell them um, to embrace how they look. I mean, it's so important because you know one of the things too that's different is uh, a social media is so different. I mean, we didn't have social media. I didn't have social media when I was coming up. They do, they have a bombardment of information coming at them from every different direction. And it's important that you teach them about how, you know, it's a little bit off topic, but how to properly use the technology and how not to allow the technology to use them. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things, I think, that as we continue to move and continue to um, have the success, I mean, representation is so important because all different, you know, girls of color, women of color who see them in all shapes, sizes, colors, heights, you know, they can see themselves in that. And they may be able to, if even if those words are spoken to them because they have something to look at that looks like them, they'll be able to, you know, push aside what somebody is saying, the naysayers are saying for whatever reason. And most of the times the reasons that they're saying is, is strictly because they're trying to discourage them and tear them down to, to uplift themselves. So... You live with diabetes or at risk and tired of being stuck in a cycle of attempts to achieve better health? If you said yes, Abundant Life LLC may be able to help. One size doesn't fit all, but using effective strategies empowers you to reach your goals. Try something new and break the cycle. Abundant-Life-LLC.com. 
You want to reach out to Dr. Rache Freeman, phone number 615-212-8490, or you can reach her, full word, a life full effect at gmail.com. Welcome back, Dr. Cliff Burton Friend, featuring the absolute very best of all the women's sports and HBCU athletic. We want to say welcome now to our 76 engaged listeners online and 22 in the chat room. Dr. Kemp, question for coach or comment for Coach Kareem Tauber. Yes, good evening, Coach Tauber. Thank you so much for joining the show. We're so happy to have you here. And I've actually was honored to see you last year and you and your team performed at Rutgers, um, did an amazing job as yes. well as here at the panel discussion uh, with the wonderful um, coaches. Um, it was amazing. But my, I have a question. Um, I just wanted to know, did any of your skills or do any of your skills as an attorney help to keep your student athletes balanced in terms of their schedules, being a gymnast, their academic schedules, and even their confidence, you know, when they're, when they are out there competing, um, just to make sure that they are still confident in their skills for all the, the events that they have to perform. Um, well, honestly, I would say that my undergrad degree has done more to help than the law degree. As an undergrad, I was a social work major. And one of the things that we had to do is we had to take a very, I guess you can call it a rainbow array of classes. So I had to do child and family development, um, psychology, um, you know, women's studies, you name it. I had to take a, a pretty wide range of classes. And so I think that that has helped me to be able to kind of figure out my athletes and meet them where they are so that we can help them to get where we need them to be. It's still a progress. It's still a work in progress. Um, it's a lot different than when I did in club. In club, I was able to get there right away and to really, um, but some of those kids I got at such a young age that I was able to help them, guide them in, in going into college, whereas now I get them as 18 year olds. And so getting past the habits that they have is not always easy and getting them to understand kind of takes a little bit more time. Um, I will say that the fact that I've done it and been there and done that, has, um, you know, I, I tell my athletes, I have, I have some athletes, I tell them, I said, you know what? I may have been just like you when I did certain things, but I was, but I hit, you know what I mean? Or I finished assignments or I, I you know what I mean? I said, the difference between you and me is this. And so if you wanna be successful, you're gonna to have to figure out how to get to this. So it is, it's definitely been a learning curve as far as coaching so many um, women of color altogether. I mean, they're not used to it either. You know, most of the time they're one of, of so many. And so they have learned to put an armor around themselves when they went into gym every day because they were in an environment where they were the only one. And whether they even recognized that they had an armor on or not, they did you know they had to think about what you know they they wouldn't wear their hair a certain way in gym because of the comments they might get so in order to to avoid a negative comment you do certain things whereas now that there's a team of full of women of melanin rich beautiful skin they're themselves they're 100 percent themselves 
but they're not used to, you know, even as athletes, they're not used to being around so many people being themselves like this. And so it's a learning curve for them to, to be in the gym where everyone looks like them. I know they love it, but it's also kind of a wake up call because it's very different than being in a, being surrounded by non-melanin folks. <laughs> mm. All right, Jim, I'm going to come to you, open up your mic, Jim, and you have the next question. Coach Tarver, Coach Tarver. Okay, Jeff, I'm going to go to you. Jeff? Coach, listen, I, I, I really appreciate you being here. I, I listened to a video clip and it talked about one of your gymnasts who actually had a scholarship. Uh, she was recruited by a particular college. I'm not sure of the college or her name. And then she chose to renege on that scholarship and come to Fisk. Can you talk about this young lady if you know who I'm talking about? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's Morgan Price, who is uh, actually from Lebanon, Tennessee. But uh, Morgan was, she was committed to University of Arkansas and she had a full scholarship, you know, offer there. And when she heard about the HBCU and heard about Fisk, she wanted to get a little bit more information. So got on a couple of phone calls with her, so, well, video chats with her. She came for a visit and fell in love and decided she wanted to come to Fisk. She wanted to be a part of history. She wanted to, you know, help make history here at Fisk. It also was a kind of a coming home because she was from Lebanon. Um, she had moved to Texas, but her family still lived here in, in Tennessee. So she was close to her, closer to her grandparents as well as aunts and uncles and cousins um, doing something amazing by being a part of history. And just, you know, she wanted to go to an HBCU, something that just wasn't an option before. But she yeah. wasn't she wasn't the only one, actually. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. We had several girls on the team who gave up full scholarships to come to Fisk. So, you know, it, it's exciting. And, you know, it was an amazing year, but this year is even better. So just a quick follow-up. So if you're... If a, if, a, if a school wants to start up a program, uh, what would you advise the, ver the first steps for them to do? The first step I would advise, which unfortunately the, the second HBCU to add it did not, did not get this memo. I don't, I don't know if anyone told him was to give the school, give the coach an entire year to put their program together. It's, oh. it's extremely difficult to, I mean, I had four months to put an entire team together to be ready for competition. Talladega, who was the second to add, had five months. I mean, you're you're basically putting us at a disadvantage before we start because only having a couple of months to recruit means that a lot of recruits are in fact signed. And it's very hard to convince somebody who has a full scholarship to give that up to come to your school. Mm -hmm. We got blessed and, and we were able to do it, but a lot of the reason was because we were the first. So we were making history. Everyone that comes after us is not going to have that to say. They won't be able to say that. So it makes it that much harder for them to convince an athlete to give up a, you know, a full ride to a big school that has a big, you know, has all these facilities and has all these, all this money and stuff at the disposal to come to a small little school with a thousand students. Um, so, or even if it's a bigger school, to come to an HBCU because we all know that 
with some HBCUs, they just don't have the funding as the uh, as some of these PWIs. So mm-hmm. you got to have something special in order to get them to to make that move. So I would say that they need to give the coach an entire year to put everything in place so that and then give them the time to really recruit, go out there and look for athletes and recruit the best athletes they can. Yes. Thanks, Coach. Yeah. Appreciate it. Cliff, back to you. All righty. I want to say this while we're on that topic, and I want to wait to do it because we have now 79 listeners. And by the way, Coach Harbor, our Podbeam audience is uh, we get downloads in 38 states, and we've been downloaded in nine different countries. So they're going to know about this university in Bangladesh, Singapore, Poland, all these people follow our show. And, and right now, we want to say to all of our listeners, we ask you, www.fist.edu, hit athletics in the drop-down box, gymnastics, and let's support the Fist University Lady Bulldog Gymnastics Team. It's not free. And Coach Trump, we want to announce on behalf of Dr. Clifford and friends that we made our donation of $500 to the Fist Gymnastics Lady Bulldog. All righty? So we're behind you, 200%. Thank you so much. Absolutely. We, we Absolutely. definitely appreciate it. We really, really do. Absolutely. And no amount, I'm going to say this to our listeners, there's not any amount that is too small, but you are pushing history forward. Coach, we got a few minutes to for a few seconds left. I want to make sure we mention the other trailblazing coaches. Asia Sims Fletcher, Talladega, Kelsey Hinton, William & Mary, Brittany Harris, Brown University, Umay Salim Beasley, Rutgers, and Ashley Miles Gregg, Iowa State, and of course, Fisk University. We'll say it one more time. Coach Kareem Tarver, trailblazers, uh, history-making, role models, and uh, we just love you. And I'll say this, Coach, before we let Dr. Kemp get in here. I'm going to let Dr. Kemp go first. We need to give it a last word. Dr. Kemp. Thanks, Dr. Bird, because I couldn't type fast enough. I was trying to... <laughs> 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 Coach Tarver, will you um, be able to have the event that was canceled this year? Do you think you all will be able to have it next year? We are working on that. There's a couple of different proposals that have kind of gone around with the six coaches. Um, we've been talking about like different ways of doing things. It's always really hard for us here at Fisk because we cannot have meets in our gym because it's not long enough mm-hmm. and finding another facility. I mean, we were blessed that Vanderbilt was willing to open their doors for us, but we will, we won't know from year to year whether they can because it's based on the basketball schedule. And so next year they, they may not even have it available. They may have a game scheduled for that day that they don't, you know, and that's going to be a priority. So it's the plan is to definitely be doing this every single year how it goes about we we don't have answers right now i know like i said it's something that we're gonna discuss um i think we're all kind of having to get past the the or at least me the pain of the fact that we had to cancel it because a lot of work went into it and it's very disappointing because i think it would have been an amazing thing for the world to see but obviously it wasn't meant to be this this time frame but that's okay there will be a time when it it will be there um just not sure in what form. All righty. Uh, I'm going to say it one more time because we have 88 engaged listeners now. 
and 24 more in the chat box to support the Lady Bulldogs Gymnastics. www.fisk.edu go to athletics and gymnastics to support our Brown Girls of Gymnastics. Coach Tauber, we can't say thank you enough. And as we always say, well, no, we don't. We say it to you tonight. We know that you're a Georgia Bulldog, but you're also part of the family. You know that. Fist Bulldogs. So stay right there for one second. Next week, we're coming back with another outstanding woman. She's the first African-American female to be the commissioner of any conference, Division Three, Two, or One. Her name, Jackie Williams Parker. She's the commissioner of the CIAA conference. She's been there since 2012, doing a tremendous job. She'll be with us. And then, oh yeah. We have a special treat coming next month, February 13th. We covered volleyball extensively this year, and we have the Division Three National Champions coach, Coach Pavlik of the Juniata Eagles out of Pennsylvania. They have won the last two national championships on a 64-game winning streak, and they've agreed to come on Dr. Cliff Burton's friends. So to our 93 engaged listeners now, counting and 25 in the studio please continue to spread this word one more time i'm going to unmike everybody here we want to tell you so much coach tarver continue to be the visionary you are we are blessed just have to have you and boy, boy the gymnastics world sure is thank you so much coach tarver and everybody we'll see you back in 168 hours from now thanks coach tarver thank you coach money earning mouth burning Yes, congratulations, Coach Carver. We were looking forward to this season. Thank you, everybody. Yeah.